Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart distinguished professor of arsenal and football studies. This week <laughs> featured. Wait, did that, what did I got a promotion? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's kind of recognizing, recognizing where, where you've been this whole time, I feel. So, <laughs> um, this week, of course, featured Premier League match number three at home against Fulham. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, uh, I consider myself, uh, a TA because I think I know enough at this point to teach some things to some other people. Uh, but I am certainly nowhere near a master yet. So, well, well, you, you do teach, you do teach six year olds. So that's. <laughs> Which in some ways is harder than than arguably me teaching you on some level, I think. So, well, we're, so actually, that any joking or non joking from that aside, at the coach training a week ago, we were so part of it was um, a practical, and this is something really cool that they do for the coach training for soccer. But when I did lacrosse coach training in the spring, they didn't do it was all coaches at that one. For the soccer training, what they've done both times is they get a group of volunteers of players to actually be there and be coached by us. So mm. um, by the next time I do one, I'll probably volunteer to actually be one of the coaches. Instead of one of the coaches off to the side evaluating how the coaches are doing, I'll step up and actually do a, do a hands-on portion myself. But while we were evaluating one time, one of the other coaches was like, yeah, you know, I, I really still don't get offsides. I was like, aha, <laughs> let me see if I can explain this well to you. And one other guy who he's, he's younger. I can't imagine he's a parent. He doesn't seem of age to be a parent yet, but probably more like a college student or slightly above and a player who is helping out and coaching, like volunteering to coach, which is great. I, I love like there, there are some guys like that and doing lacrosse too. Not, not in our league, but you know, outside. Well, actually there was one in our league, but, but anyway, so the player complimented me on my explanation to her. And said it was a very clear way to explain it. So, like, not only did she get it and said that she never gotten it before and she did, but he said it was good, too. And he he did understand it. So, you know, that's, that's something. All right. I'm going to take credit for that. Uh, but uh, but nicely yeah. done. Nicely yeah. done. So let's uh, give a shout out to user uh, 21K, who had a uh, comment on our YouTube video uh, last week. Um, I guess we weren't entirely clear with uh, what we were talking about with uh, keepers coming off the line or not. Um, so let me restate where I was bringing this up from, and then Keith can just kind of re-clarify. But, um, so I've understood that basically forever, the rule has always been, as far as I know, a keeper's feet stay on the line until the ball's kicked, like user 21K was suggesting. Um, when I was at the coach training a week ago, the instructor said something to the effect, and I didn't really probe him further, which I have his email address. I can maybe ask him because I am curious at this point. But um, he said that, oh, yeah, that's made a big difference in the World Cup the last couple of years. And that rocked my world, something this has always been the case. I didn't know it was a recent rule. And I brought that to you. And maybe if you wanted to <laughs> take a second stab at it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, ba basically, obviously, what what he says is true. Um, and 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 the point your coach is making, it is actually a relatively new rule. Um, now, what it says, just to clarify and build on on the comment there, and this is this is comes out of the laws of the games. So this is right out of the the rule book. Um, when the ball is kicked, the defending goalkeeper must have at least part of one foot touching in line with or behind the goal line. 
So he's got to have at least one back. Now you'll probably see him shuffling a bit. Some, a lot of it's personal preference, right? Some want to have their feet planted together. Some want to, you know, will want to be pushing in one way or another. You almost, you don't want to lean too much, you know, one one or the other way because that gives away your movement to the 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 uh, the shooter. But the idea is, as we said, as commentary points out, you know, at least one foot is on the line. Um, and so, yeah, it has made a difference. You start to see penalties being retaken. Um, you know, in some big games, you're also seeing, um, uh, you know, the clearly it's having an impact on the way keepers are processing what they're doing and the referees. And we'll, we'll talk about this as well. The referees setting up the penalty, uh, to, to their liking. And that has to do the keepers positioning is going to be part of that. All right, good. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, that clears everything up. Good to know. And, uh, next, uh, so kind of following up a little bit from two or maybe three episodes ago, uh, when we were talking about the, I think it was at the time it was Nottingham Forest jerseys and versus our away jerseys and how they have the different lines. You mentioned something that I hadn't really thought about in the professional context, at least, which is there are templates like Adidas will have a certain number of templates of shirts that they can pick from and then design within. And of course the professional ones can get those modified, but at our level, if we're ordering soccer jerseys or something for, for rec play, we're going to have to stick to the templates precisely. Um, with that in the back of my mind, I, I noted the first thing I noticed with um, Fulham's Jersey design was the neck, the back of the neck had the same shape kind of going up like uh, the Atari look <laughs> of your um, kind of looking like that from where the raglan sleeves meet the the neckline. Um, and as I looked at their Jersey more, I was like, yeah, that is the same template as our home Jersey. It's just different colors. And then they have a button collar versus we just have like a, a regular ring collar. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was interesting to me. Thank you for bringing up the templates thing. That That's a new way of looking at these <laughs> that I hadn't had before. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of it's just a general design thing. You talk about modifications. What the pros will be able to do is get more specific colors or designs, sublimated things like that. When you're when you're ordering out of the catalog, you're gonna, and I'm sure your league will, would deal with this. You, you'll basically get you get to pick different colors. Mm-hmm. And here is our list of colors. Now, again, a, a major professional team they'll get certain specialized ones. It'll look, you know, they can draw closer to their logos. Um, but yeah, no, you get you you want red? Okay, here's your red. Here's the red shirt. Right. And this is the one shade of red that we'll give you. I know it's not exactly Manchester United's or exactly Arsenal's or whichever Liverpool, whichever red team, but yeah. So, and those, could, those could even be considered trademark or proprietary, depending on the colors. Yeah. Uh, that could be considered that yeah. most of them aren't. If you actually get it, there's, there are places that catalog the colors different professional teams use. And it's a lot of the same shades of, of blue and red, uh, certainly within the U.S. I don't know quite as you get abroad, but probably not. Probably not dealing with too much difference. Right. So, yeah. And while while we're on the topic of Fulham's jerseys, are those their home kits that they were wearing? Because I was expecting the referee stripes, like we noted last season, that, that I was led to believe are their traditional shirts. No, la- last year they were, uh, it was more like pinstripes on their shirts. Typically their shirts are, are similar to this. They're, they're generally white with a lot of black trim. Uh, black and white tend to be their oh. colors. Although they're, their away kit this year is a vibrant pink. Mm. Um, 
not quite like Arsenal, that sort of subtle, more pastel. No, this is this is highlighter pink, like Miami um, almost. Like, uh, like uh, more almost. I uh, well, uh, now we're going to delve into colors, which are really outside my area <laughs> of expertise. But uh, we're talking like magenta. It is okay. It is shocking. Uh, hmm. I mean, you know, I. I, I don't know. If I, I don't know if they've worn it yet. I obviously have only watched Fulham one time this year, um, <laughs> so I, that's all I could really say about it. But it is certainly it is certainly a noticeable color. Hmm. I think that's the best way. To say it. I may have been thinking of Newcastle. Newcastle has like the wide stripes, right? That's Newca- probably what it was yeah. when I saw the Newca- white and black. My mind went there. Yeah, Newcastle is the black and white, or the black and white, uh, like the referee or the Footlocker right. stripes. Um, Fulham is the interesting one. Little, little interesting side bit is they have the Adidas stripes on the shoulder. There, they actually did it with two different colors: right. it's, uh, white on one and red on the other, which is slightly different than, uh, yeah, than usual. And they carried uh, that design detail through to the hems of the shorts too. Like mm-hmm. one, the leg on the one on the red side of the shoulder was red, and the leg on the other side was white. So yeah, which you know is um, it's nice. You know, I it, like it, them. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the little kind of the balance there is kind of. It's kind of good, yeah. you know. Not there are plenty of times that you wouldn't see that happen. So kind of neat to see it actually in place. Yeah. Um, not so neat to watch Fulham play. I shouldn't say that they played well, of course. But <laughs> yeah, we, we'll, we'll get into the game. We, we will. We but get, do we need to get first, into the game now? First, let's oh, yes. uh, enter the messy room. The way you say that, like we should have a theme song for it or something. Yeah, well, maybe at some point. So uh, for anyone who is listening and not watching, uh, my room just turned pink, like Inter Miami's jerseys. So um, so first in the messy room, uh, we have a question from viewer Reed, <laughs> my son. Um, and he was wondering, as we watched the, you know, la- we watched almost all the match live from this weekend, it would be missed the first 20 minutes or so, but we noticed that Messi was on the bench. Now, I knew going into this match, they were billing this as his regular season debut. So his actual debut was during the League's Cup. This is his first regular season match. Presumably, that has something to do with them keeping him on the bench at the beginning of the match. But I I can't say I quite get it, if you'd like to explain a little. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I cannot speak to the intricacies of of Miami's roster decisions. But my suspicion is that it has nothing to do with being with the MLS debut, but that in the midweek, Miami played in the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup, which is... The FA Cup only in the United States. It's the same basic tournament. Uh, they played in the semifinals, and he played. Uh, they went. They went to penalties in that one, which they eventually, where they eventually won. Hmm. Um, but he played in that game, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know that he. Act, he may have played all 20, 120 minutes, which you know, not that you know. I hate to, yeah, at his advanced age. I'm pretty sure he's younger than we are. Uh, <laughs> but you know, at, at his age as an athlete, you, mm-hmm. you're not going to run him out for. 120 minutes midweek and then 90 minutes on the weekend, especially this game. It okay. turns out they want that they won apparently pretty handily without him or without, you know, before, you know, they were, they played well, you know, well enough that he came on, made a difference at the end. But chances yeah. are that was about load management. And certainly, you know, if, with a guy like that, what you really want is you use him sparingly in these two, in these two game a week situations. Miami is starting pretty low down the table but they still have a shot to climb into the playoffs and then hopefully he's at full strength once you get to the postseason because then you sure. really want him uh, but i suspect that's what was going on it was a, a roster rotation decision not anything yeah yeah that makes sense i was completely oblivious to the u.s open i don't even know still what that actually is but yeah no that that definitely would explain it so yeah, as I said, it's essentially the equivalent of the uh, the FA Cup. It's a giant okay. national nationwide knockout tournament. 
Um, it is actually, I believe, the second oldest uh, of these national cups still ongoing. Uh, the longest, of course, being the FA Cup in England. Right. But it's it's been around. 1912 was the first one. So it's been hmm, around wow. a long time. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting tournament. It mixes in the not only the MLS, but the lower levels of American soccer. Uh, you know, and okay. you'll see some deep runs. You know, depending on how seriously MLS teams take it, you'll see some deep runs by some teams in USL. Um, I think that actually last year in the final, uh, the runner up was Sacramento Republic, who's a USL team, actually made it all the way to the final. Uh, it is heavily regionalized though, so, um, you know, it's following New York City. They play New York Red Bulls pretty much every year, it feels like, because that's just who's in their region and they're nearby. Obviously, in England, it's a complete random draw, but England is a much smaller country than right. the United States is, so, uh, physically, yeah. geographically, so. And- uh, but yeah. And USL, is that United Soccer League? Or? Uh, yes, it is the second division of American soccer beneath MLS. Um, and belief beneath, oh, sorry, and beneath MLS Pro Next or Next Pro, whatever that is. So MLS Next Pro is more of a youth development league, so it doesn't fit into that. Oh, there is, okay. however, there used to be, and, and this is where it gets weird. I'm not, I'm going to get some of this wrong, so be very careful. There is also, or I think there's more, there used to be the MLS 2 clubs, like basically a second team a lot of them would play in u.s what was what they eventually have started calling usl league two they're basically copying the nomenclature from Eng- the efls the english football league so it's mls at the top then usl championship which is the top oh, no. division and then usl league one and league two because of course why not copy uh, this th- this system that already of seems all the things weird. to copy I- i'd so much prefer we started calling it football instead of soccer but to copy the most confusing aspect of the naming from england that's very disappointing look i i, I watched the other semifinal where where the, the my local t- now new, new local team the houston dynamo beat a club called real salt lake which i'll let right. you unpack we can unpack that another time <laughs> uh the the European transference into MLS. Yeah. But anyway, yes. So yeah, there was a major game for Miami midweek more important in some ways, more important to them because it's now another chance at a trophy. They made, they won, they made the final at the end of September against the Houston dynamo. Uh, so they'll play for that. Um, whereas the MLS game, I mean, they, they need a lot of points to make the playoffs. So it's important right. to them. But U.S. Open Cup is a trophy, and it's right there. You only need to win two games. So right. So yeah. Before we leave the messy room, I just thought it was funny. Um, we, were, we were watching, and so we saw that he was sitting on the bench. I mean, first we saw he wasn't playing, and then we confirmed, yeah, he's on the bench. We didn't just miss him. And I offered because you know he, he, my son tends not to watch entire soccer matches. It seems like watching Messi has been the thing that has pulled him through and made him actually want to watch. And also staying up late, like these MLS matches are in American time and I'm not watching them either live early in the day or time shifted, like really late. And he doesn't have, he can watch it the next day when I'm time shifting it. Um, but so I, I gave him the chance, like, Hey, Messi's not playing. Do you want to keep on watching or go to bed? And he said, no, no, I want to watch. I, I want to see Messi just like watching us, you know. <laughs> um, I completely botched that. <laughs> <laughs> I read it the way I wrote it down, and I wrote it down totally wrong. He says that he wanted to see Messi watching just like we are, <laughs> right? <laughs> Messi on the bench just like we are, which is Star- kind of stars. funny. Stars are just like us. Yeah, exactly. They go to the gr- they go we to don't the have any chance store, of playing yeah. soccer like he does. 
but we can sit and watch it just as well as just, him. I, I, you know, it is one of the few things in this world at which he and I have roughly the same skill level. Yep. <laughs> roughly speaking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it is time to talk about the Fulham match. <laughs> so this match happened on Saturday, August 26th. And the final score was very, very upsettingly 2-2 Arsenal Fulham. It ended mm. in a draw. We eked out one point. And oh, it does not feel like that should have been the final result at all. I mean, it felt like it should have been a blowout on our part. That wasn't, that was, uh, it was a frustrating game. And, you know, obviously the frustration is compounded by giving up a goal in the first minute. Of course. Again, apparently they said that something like, <laughs> This is now some record where apparently the it's the third time that's happened in the last, I think, calendar year, all at home, which is further disturbing, um, has never happened before. Now, the odd part about that is we actually have a we, with with this result, we've actually won and drawn one two of those games, which is kind of odd. But uh, well, I guess it speaks to our talent level on one hand, like maybe a lot of teams wouldn't be able to come back from that, I would guess. Uh, you know, it certainly puts you behind the eight ball, but we yeah. should point out the exact same weekend, uh, Manchester United, the same time they were down, I think it was two nil to, to Nottingham Forest and came back and actually won that game. Uh, so mm. I mean, Fulham is, I Fulham is better than Forest. I don't think that's a controversial, too controversial a claim to make. Um, but you know, it is frustrating at Forest and Fulham both picked up red cards and, you know, it were down a man late. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating it, because that's happened and, and it happened, especially that first goal happened because of just a, just a, an awful giveaway by yeah. Osaka. I mean, really a bad one, a shockingly bad one. But even then Fulham comes in and that shot, that's not what he wanted to do. He could see right. he's trying to chip a uh, Ramsdale like and he botches head, it, yeah. but he botches it, but it actually ends up going in because, of, and so it's just like, yeah. You know, not only did you make the mistake, but they, they punished you for it in the worst way possible. And that was, yeah. that was a tough one. That the was stars tough. aligned against us for that one, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it does feel at times, and, and I don't, I don't want to say this in sort of a woe is us category, but it does feel at times that we sort of get inordinately punished for those. Like we will make a bad error and immediately see it in the back of the net. But sometimes that's what happened. We sort of talk about this coming into the game. Like Fulham is not a bad team. Right. And so, yeah, you make a mistake like that, especially at the Premier League level, you get punished for it. And we did. And it, it, it just it colors the game. And you're right. We play. Well, I shouldn't say we played a lot better. We definitely were on the front foot. Fulham was allowed to sit back and absorb pressure again, like we've talked about. But we were really sloppy. We were not good in the first half. I, yeah, I, I don't know how you how you felt well, about that, but I was I was not happy with our performance. My my feeling at the end of the first half was it's completely unbelievable how many attempts we had, incredible attempts that we just could not complete. That was what was crazy to me. We had shot after shot after shot, most of them on goal and most of them just straight at the keeper which was very frustrating. And the ones that weren't were the ones that went wide for the most part or, or high, but yeah, we wound up with, we wound up, this is the final stats in the game. We wound up with 11 shots on goal, which is a lot. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, you look at the quality of the chances we took. It wasn't very high. Um, a lot of our passing was really sloppy. I mean, Sakas is the most obvious because it led to the goal, 
But I mean, Party wasn't very good passing. Odegaard made a bunch of mistakes. Trossard was kind of a mess. Martinelli struggled. I mean, there was a lot of... Mm-hmm. And, and again, some of this comes back to the lineup. Like again, Gabriel's on the bench. Party starting at right back. And you can see at times that it's just not quite clicking. Guys aren't quite where they expect each other to be. And so there you are, and you're you're and in a lot of cases it's not bad giveaways that lead to goals, but sometimes it's just a you pass it to a player who's not quite in a position. Now he has to run and receive it rather than run onto it and, and go forward. Right. Or sometimes or sometimes now you're chasing it down and fighting a duel for the ball as opposed to receiving the pass and turning up field and going somewhere with it. And so it's just it just takes you out of whack, takes you out of out of form and function. And they it really they struggled at that. And I mean you saw a rare thing. We've talked to, we sort of complained about like uh, Arteta's taking his time on, on substitutions. He made halftime subs. Those are, you you don't see halftime subs very often. Right. Um, Which, yeah, you know, that was something that they were talking about. And after the whistle, when they were talking about um, the women's world cup that, that just concluded and, um, yeah, they, they were talking about how it is very rare and to a lot of coaches, it's basically admitting that either admitting to your player that, yeah, you're just not doing it or admitting that their own strategy was wrong and that they need to just start over, basically, which a lot of them aren't willing to do. So. Yeah, and, and and a lot of it, we've talked about this before, probably way back at the beginning, we started that there's two reasons you make a substitution. There's the tactical substitution, which is I'm bringing on players to switch things up or perhaps injecting someone in to keep the same play, but to, you know, fresh legs. Or there's the injury substitution. Somebody got hurt, and so we have to replace him. You see, injury subs, half halftime sub is almost always an injury one. But like you said, yeah, a lot of managers are going to be really stubborn. And, and on some level, you could have argued from Arteta's perspective, my plan is working. We're getting a lot. We're having a lot of possession. We're doing a lot. We're, we're getting into positions. We're getting opportunities on goal. We just haven't scored yet. We keep this up. We'll eventually score. But yeah, also he, but you saw it. He said it. And, and Trossard was sort of the scape, a little bit made the scapegoat for that. Uh, but then again, Trossard wasn't exactly playing particularly well. So I can't fault mm-hmm. Arteta for that, that choice, that decision. Actually, overall, we complained about his subs. I thought a lot of the substitutions this game were, were really quite good. Um, I've got some complaints about one of them, but we can get to that, you know, once we get to the second half. But um, right. But yeah. So, yeah, that that was that was my summary. Like there's tons of attempts. They just could not get over the goal line. It was it was very, very frustrating. Yeah, just and and some of that is, uh, you know, and, and, you know, some of that's uh former Arsenal keeper, Bern Leno, you know, is a solid shot stopper. Um, was it was well positioned. You saw a lot of shots seem to go right at him. I mean, sometimes that's a credit to the keeper, but yeah, you'd like to see some better efforts uh, from Saka, Havertz. Martinelli had a nice one from a tight angle that forced a good save that led to a corner, but you kind of like to see a little bit better effort than a lot of what we were getting. Well, yeah, I mean, it was very frustrating right toward the end of the first half. There's one shot by Odegaard that was just beautiful. And if... Leno was like six inches shorter. It probably would have gone in. He just like managed to push it up and over the crossbar or something. It was just, yeah, it's frustrating. Of course, if he was six inches shorter, he wouldn't be a keeper. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
So before we move on to the second half, let's take a short break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, which is Zencaster. Uh, you are watching us thanks to Zencaster. If it weren't for Zencaster, I can pretty safely say we probably wouldn't be on YouTube. I wouldn't be editing together our videos and they, they wouldn't look as good as I generally hope they do. <laughs> I do my best. Uh, we do our best. Um, but <laughs> so um, we use Zencaster for every episode we are recording on here. Um, it is so easy. We just open it up in Chrome and then Keith does the same. We click record and that's it. Zencaster takes care of everything else and we get super high quality results because it's recording locally for both of us. So I'm not recording a janky internet stream that sometimes goes low quality. Like even if I see that while we're recording, it always looks good when I download the, the file that was recorded on, on Keysend. So uh, we're very happy with it. And 99% of our video post-production takes place also in Zencaster. Uh, the 1% that doesn't is if we lose connection and we have to like have a second video start over or something. I'll do the little graphic in between on my own. But other than that, everything is in Zencaster. So um, as I mentioned, it is super, super easy. Um, it is now as easy as ever to record a podcast with Zencaster. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. You can record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. It is an all-in-one solution, so even if you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services... Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So if you want to get that passion project going, you want to get it off the ground, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting content needs. So it's time to share your story. Again, use the you can use the link in the show notes or the YouTube description. Or if you want to go to Zencaster.com slash pricing, use our code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R. Again, there are no U's in Gooner. And you will get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. So thank you to Zencaster for supporting our show. The second half got really interesting, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. Well, so first off, did you enjoy the the fine English weather that they were having? Uh, oh yeah, that yeah that started a little late in the second or the, the end of the first half. Yeah, it was funny. So it started off and it looked sunny, like there were shadows on the field. It looked like a bright sunny day that we were in for. And I was wondering if they need to use sunscreen at this time of year in England. And then yeah, like twenty minutes later, thirty minutes later, they made a close-up shot of party. He was about to do a throw-in or something. I wasn't sure why, but then all of a sudden I noticed, yeah, the rain coming down. And I thought it was another one of these things where, oh, it's it's been like that for a while, and I didn't notice it until a close shot. But no, this was the first game I remember actually seeing the rain in the wide shot, too, and hearing the thunder. It was a storm. It was an all-out storm. It was pouring. I did notice somewhere in the first half, because you're right, it started, it was bright and sunny, uh, you know, the typical shadows that you would have expected for a I guess a mid-afternoon it would have been a mid-afternoon kickoff um and then then there, there was one shot I remember them showing it was leno made a save or something behind the fulham goal and you can sort of see in the background and you just see the clouds in the sky i'm like oh i know oh. what that is uh <laughs> that's that's interesting it looks ominous uh sure and it turns out it <laughs> bored and and as sloppy as arsenal was in the early part 
both teams got really sloppy starting at that point and then mostly into the second half because it was it was pouring rain. You could see the players were drenched, you know, Arteta's sitting on the bench just you know, covered in water. <laughs> everybody's everybody's getting wet. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure anyone who spent a lot of time outdoors in those kind of cases and with that kind of rain, you it doesn't take long for everything to get soaked and then it's just, everything's just unpleasant. Nothing's right. enjoyable. It's um, well, they were, the commentators were talking about something that I noticed too. You could see some of the the staff on the sides, like you'd see them with a jacket and then without a jacket, and you get the feeling that they don't have lightweight raincoats that they're cleared to wear with the team logo or whatever on the sidelines. They have their like winter jackets that are weatherproof, but it's those were probably starting to get too hot because it is still summer, so they had to pick yeah, it could, between it could, being yeah. too warm or being dry. <laughs> I mean, it could also be they have that stuff, but, you know, they weren't, it could just be they didn't have it with them there on the bench. You know, it's, yeah. it's I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of the, one of those weird things you never really think about, but they're sitting out there for 45 minutes to an hour and you, you kind of have to come out of the locker room with all the stuff you want to have. And if you forget your mm-hmm. jacket, I mean, I suppose somebody could run in and get them. I suppose that is right. crazy. But then again, you're right. I mean, what kind of gear do they have? Do they choose to have? I, I kind of curious what they said the weather forecast was. I yeah. didn't think it was odd. <laughs> Um, cause you could hear the thunder and I mean, in, in an American sporting context, when you hear thunder, that's usually a sign right. for everybody gets off the field. This is where we're right now. That's true. This. Yeah. And yeah. it was interesting. They didn't do that at all. Now, maybe they had some advanced radar that shows the lightning was nowhere near them. It was fine, which I don't know that I believe, but, or maybe this, it maybe it's just a general experience that like, or inexperience. I don't know what do you, what do you do with a storm. I don't know. I mean, it storms <laughs> in England, but obviously, right. you know, <laughs> Again, I live in Texas. I mean, let me tell you what a storm. Well, I can't tell you what a storm looks like because it hasn't rained in Houston in about a month, and it's over a hundred <laughs> today again. But, but still, like certain things you expect. I thought that was very odd. Um, I don't know what yeah. to make of it, but I thought it was very interesting. No, that's that's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. But yeah, any sporting event I've ever been to, rain. You'll usually play through with field sports, baseball. Yeah. Like once it starts seriously raining, they cover, cover the infield, but, um, like soccer, football, they play through rain and snow, but it's the thunder is what causes them to stop. Like as soon as there's even a chance of a lightning strike nearby, it's like, no, yeah. we're not dealing with that chance. Cause I have to imagine that that, that is an open field. I mean, maybe they feel like they have enough lightning rods around Emirates that, that everyone's safe, but it's a yeah. big open hole. Hey, well, it's, it's an open field, but it is a bit more enclosed. I mean, it's the stadium. Yeah. I mean, most of the fans are mostly covered. So mm-hmm. the, the, open space is still relatively limited um as opposed to if they had been say at craven cottage where there's the field and everything is outside of it there's nothing sort of over the top like you would see with with the emirates but i i don't know that's kind of a curious a curious yeah. thing to see yeah so we started off the second half with another shot by Saka that was caught by leno and then not too long after the first time-wasting yellow card of the match. <laughs> I think the only yellow card given for time-wasting, I think, that I, I, that I recall. I, I think if that's right. Um, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, it, it, it's interesting, of course, because especially because of, uh, you know, Tomiyasu was out because of the, the car, the, his two yellows, right. partly related to the fact the first one was time-wasting. Fans were a little restless about the time wasting, and it's going to be one of those things where people want there to be a hard and fast rule, and there really isn't a hard and fast rule on time wasting and what is or isn't a mm-hmm. yellow, and it's going to drive people crazy. And you could see that a little bit. Well, people were, you know, fans were calling for cards 
you know, quickly. And again, given the recent experience Arsenal had, it's not a surprise, but I feel like you're, if you're looking for consistency, you're not really going to get it. That doesn't exist in this context. <laughs> you know, right. It's going to, it's just going to be a struggle. Um, we should also mention, we, we mentioned as well, the halftime subs, um, we, you know, Trossard was the scapegoat. He came off for Eddie and Ketia. Right. And then fairly early on, uh, Kai Havertz, who wasn't great. Thomas Party was okay, but made a bunch of errors. They came off for Fabio Vieira and, and Alexander Zinchenko. And I think those three substitutions, I think those really were really impressive and did a lot uh, for the game. I thought we were a lot better after that. Um, yeah. I mean, and it, this has been said in a few places that that may well have been Fabio Vieira's best game as an Arsenal player. I uh, will talk about it as we get to it to the goals. He he was he was all over the place, and I've been willing to be patient with him. I know some fans have been you know pretty have been pretty bothered by him, but he, I feel like this is the first time I really watched him and said, okay, that's the guy Arteta sees in training, and that's why he keeps running him out. That's the guy mm-hmm. he wants to see on the field, and yeah. I think you saw some of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, after Zinchenko and Vieira came on, we had another couple Odegaard shots back to back right after that. And crosses didn't go anywhere. And then we had the second yellow card, which is another Fulham one. And then Vieira made a run at the goal and was foiled in a penalty call in the 67th minute that turned the tide of the game. I think it's pretty safe to say. Well, I'll um, ask you, pe- penalty or no? You saw it, when you saw it. What do you think? Oh, definitely. No? I mean, he he caught his feet. I mean, like huh? he it was a, arguably a red card. I mean, it was like a denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity, right? Like that could have been a straight red. Um, probably not given the no? angle he was coming in on, and th- there were other there were other players that could have cut in defensively. Okay. But yeah, it was a clear it was a clear foul, yeah. and because of where it was in the box, yep. you know, the, I mean, the referee points right to it. I mean, over Paul Tierney, who's the official, is not my favorite referee, and he certainly had drawn his fair share of criticism over the years. Overall, I thought he was pretty good on Saturday. We've we've been critical of refs. We should be nice when they're good, mm-hmm. or we should say when they do a good job overall. Yeah. But that that whole thing with Saka in the penalty spot was very curious. Well, bef- before we get to that, before we are done heaping praise upon the ref. What I want to add to that heap is I did notice throughout this match, he actually didn't call a lot of fouls. The game really kept moving. There were not a lot of free kicks given overall, and it was done in an even-handed way. I didn't feel like either team was really denied an inordinate number of fouls. He was pretty even-handed with it, and I think it it really helped the flow of the game a lot. I appreciated that. It, it didn't strike me as a very physical game, you know, sort of coming out of the Palace game or the Forest game or even even City in the Cup where you're seeing tacklers and going, that's a foul! Call it! <laughs> I didn't feel the same way watching that. Uh, but but some of that goes into, it, it was talked about in the aftermath of those other games, there's this directive to the officials to, as you it, use the words you use, let the game flow, let the game move, don't stop every time there's maybe a foul, let the game go a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, is a conscious choice on the part of the referee to sort of get to what you're saying. What you're looking for is to let the game move. And, and overall, I thought it did move fairly well. Um, but uh, that's... Um, you know, overall, I did think the game moved fairly well. Uh, but yeah, then the, the it sets us up for the penalty. Yeah. 
some a spot. <laughs> I, I don't. So for those who who obviously didn't see it, or you know, we see it on the highlights. So Saka puts the ball in the penalty spot, and it, the ball doesn't have to be like on the penalty spot; it has to be touching it. And a lot of times, you'll see the players put it like as far forward as they can. Official Tierney came over, like Saka had it placed there. He came over and told them to move it back. Yeah, which of course. You know, Tierney puts it on the spot, and then Saka then picks it up and moves it forward back to basically where he had it before. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I've. <laughs> I don't want to say I've never seen that before because every once in a while I'll see a referee get a, a bee in their bonnet, so to speak, about like the positioning of a ball. But that was yeah. weird. I don't. I don't. It was weird. I don't know what to make of it. Well, I, yeah, it was definitely weird. I almost wonder because, like you said, Saka basically went all of a sudden done and put it back as far as we could tell, like exactly where it started. I almost wonder if from the angle that Tierney was looking, if it looked worse than it was. And when he came over, like he came over, he interrupted the shot. He had to say and do something. And who knows what he maybe even whispered to Saka afterwards. But yeah, so he may have been okay with the same spot after he's looking at it from a different angle or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I tried to ice our penalty taker is what I saw, but Saka converted it nice and clean. Good penalty. Yeah. Good job. Uh, one, one. So, you know, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. A good, and a good roar from the crowd when he put it in too, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know. so yeah. So it immediately after that penalty, Fulham made a substitution and brought on Harrison Reed, who I know because he's on my fantasy team. Cause he has the last name that is my son's first name. <laughs> <laughs> and it it really led me to realize that I, I, I know a lot more about picking fantasy teams for <laughs> next season that you really want to try and make sure that, like your players playing is one of the most important things. My team is not doing very well, but I need to make sure I pick more starters next time. <laughs> yes, you need to be. And, you know, and, and with a team like Arsenal, it can be a little tougher because ideally we haven't quite gotten there yet. Last year, we were definitely not in this place, but you know, we're going to be a place where the, the squad is so deep that we'll be able to rotate guys. That's one of the benefits maybe of picking a guy from a, a team like a, like Fulham, who's going to be much more locked into a starting lineup. And so you can feel more confident week to week who's going to be playing, but then you have to keep an eye out for things like the injury reports and sort of say who's training, sure. who's not so-and-so picked up a knock. And then sometimes you just get a case where you show up at the stadium and they're like, Oh yeah. So-and-so tweaks something in warm up, So he's sitting today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, oh, well, okay, then. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then immediately after that, so like within a couple minutes of scoring the penalty, there was a really, really interesting moment where the, I think if I'm remembering the, the exact sequence of things, so we were trying to score. Then I forget the name of the player, but one of the Fulham players commits what seems like it could have been a penalty against us and arguably should have been a penalty against us in doing so injures himself or is at least trying to call for some foul against himself is writhing around on the ground. So Fulham is essentially a man down even before they get their eventual red card, right? They're a man down and we capitalize on that and end up putting one in the back of the net. This is Enkedia's goal, which had to have been a very frustrating moment for Fulham. Like, I really hope that guy actually was hurt for his sake because to put his team in that position, if he weren't, would have been really bad. Yeah. So a couple, I mean, a couple of things are happening there. First is it's, it was a foul or not a foul actually, but it was definitely contact between him and Saka. Um, 
on first glance, I thought maybe it could have been a penalty. I recall looking at the replays and going, eh, that seems mm. fine. But yeah, you're right. He hurts. The, the Fulham defender hurts himself, and he clearly hurts himself because he is down. Yeah. And what's interesting, of course, is a lot of the Fulham players are calling for the ball to be played out. We're, now we enter into one of those gray area, gentlemanly or unwritten rules of the game. If a player is down injured, generally speaking, it's considered gentlemanly to put the ball out of play. And then, you know, so you would kick it out of bounds and then Fulham would take the throw in and they would just throw it right back to you. Um, so there is kind of a sense from some people that maybe that's what Arsenal should do. Honestly, that's a rule you sort of honor in the breach. Like, the fact that Arsenal kept playing and the guys hurt tough. I mean, the rule, the only rule they have now is if the if the referee suspects it's a head injury right. and he has to stop the play. He but that wasn't, yep. that wasn't a head injury. Whatever was going on there wasn't. And I think he was really injured. Because mm-hmm. um, after the goal scored, you know, the medics came out and took care of him. And then once they come out, he has to come off the field for 30 right. seconds. So, yeah, he was he was definitely hurt. He wasn't milking that. Um Funny thing about that, though, we'll, we'll get into that. So there's a turnover. Vieira is the one who picks it up, comes down, puts in just a perfect cross. And Enkedi yeah. is, you know, one of the things Enkedi does is he poaches. If you put him in position to score a goal, he can put it in, and he does. Um, so good good on Enkedi. And again, we talked about Fabio Vieira's great performance. That's another one, picking up the turnover and then, you know, lace it, lacing in a really perfect pass for the goal. So so full credit to Vieira on that, full credit to Enkedi on the finish. Um, and then of course there was a VAR check, you know, so there's a VAR check for offside. Here's the thing though. The f- injured Fulham player was on the field. Oh, so, so he, he plays them onside. Right. Right. By being there along with, of course, the keeper, there's your two men back behind the ball. Right. Well, and he was like along the byline, basically. He went down just about as close to the goal as you can be. Yep. So yeah, and he was still, he was still in bounds. So <laughs> thank you. He was on. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. They're checking that and you're watching the pass and receiving like, Oh, I wonder. And then at some point someone said, no, wait a minute. It, he's the guy, <laughs> that's the other guy. He's, he's still in the play. You're on, right. you know, sorry, but you played him on side by doing that. So yeah. Two one. Right. <laughs> Did you notice in the 79th minute, there was a moment where Leno grabbed the ball and it looked very possible. I don't even necessarily want to say likely, but at least very possible that that ball was outside the 18 yard box. Yeah, Did I you saw notice that, that? that. That was a weird one. And it happened so quickly. You never re- we never really got a replay of it. Right. Um, I don't know. It didn't feel like Arsenal was making too. The players weren't making too big of a protest. I don't recall them making a big protest when it yeah. happened, which leads me to think probably okay. Um, but yeah, that was a weird one. So yeah, the, it's it's really and, and I and I did look this up afterwards. It's the position of the ball, right? So he can actually be standing outside the box. You'll see this a lot, like with keepers will stand behind the line, but sort of like volleyball the ball, you know, the ball back in and then grab it so that. The ball doesn't go out of bounds. Their body's out. But the ball is in bounds, so they're okay. Yep. Same thing with the box. As long as the ball is within the is touching the line and in the box, it's still considered he, he's still safe for the keeper to hold it. But yeah, that one was right on the line there, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and I, that I think that's what Arteta ended up getting a yellow card for. Probably was arguing that I think right after. Yeah, right? he yeah he picked up an arguing yellow, and he's gonna have to be a little careful about those because I'm pretty sure managers. We talk about the accumulation of yellows leading right. to suspensions. I'm pretty sure that counts for managers too. Mm-hmm. So he'll want to be a little careful because I believe that's two already this season. Right. Um, 
at least. <laughs> I'm so not really counting, but yeah, definitely at least two. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll want to be careful about that. But yeah, it seems like a, it's definitely the kind of play where it, it's just interesting how like nothing else came of that. Um, it didn't seem like he got a, I, I, Arteta complained, but it didn't seem like I got, I don't recall. I could be wrong about this. A whole lot of complaints from the Arsenal players. Um, and the game kind of moved on. I think Fulham generated a chance shortly after that. And you're kind of like, oh, oh, okay. I guess we're, I guess that, I guess it was fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we only, I, I never saw any other replay. Right. I never, they only had that one angle live when it was happening. You're like, right. Did, did I, did that, did that happen? Did I see that? Yeah, I was, I was waiting for the replay also. It was frustrating that the coverage didn't think that it was worth showing again, at least, especially yeah. after he got a yellow card for it, you'd think, but yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, then the game continued. Um, shortly thereafter, Fulham picked up, uh, speaking of yellows, Fulham, uh, <laughs> Chris Bassey picked up his second, or Calvin Bassey, excuse me. I apologize to whoever Chris Bassey is, but, uh, Calvin <laughs> Bassey picked up his, Second yellow. I mean, you saw the foul. Is that a yellow to you? I I don't remember. I wasn't too critical about it. I was just like, yes, yes, they're a man down and we're up 2-1. I don't remember what precipitated it. <laughs> uh, so it was it was coming. I think Fulham had a corner and uh, Arsenal was clearing the other way. And so Bassey basically takes this man to the ground. I mean, yeah. that's, a te- that's a textbook yellow. Yeah. Not only is it a cynical foul to break up the counterattack, but also he was, wasn't the last defender, but it was like, essentially would have been could have been nearly a clear shot from there i mean that's as soon as he did it he had to know Mm -hmm. and uh you know the referee comes out with the yellow and that's that that's that's the card you know right (laughs) game game over for you um and uh and he'll get a suspension he'll miss fulham's next game against i don't know uh, whoever it is but he'll miss that one and uh yeah you're right i mean 83rd minute you know we're probably staring at you know five six minutes of stoppage time 80, at least 83rd minute, you're t- thinking ten, somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes we have left. We're up a man. I mean... What could happen? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Shortly after that, we put on Jorginho for Martin Odegaard. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think it's... Yeah, and then, then we switched off. Yeah. I mean, credit to Fulham for their execution on that corner kick. I mean, it was well played. Like, the ball is put right into spot where it needed to be the kick went straight through a gap like there's a good angle on it where you could really see it from the kicker's perspective you see the clear line of sight into the goal and he just put it where it needed to be frustratingly i mean i guess the the bright spot and all that for me was harrison reed was the corner kicker does the corner kicker get an assist on um That depends on how assists are calculated. I'm not quite sure exactly. Um, But potentially, I might get some benefit from my fantasy team from it. Although I would have clearly taken it in the other direction if I had the choice. Yeah, and that was that goal was that was Joel Palinha, who is uh, really an excellent player for for Fulham. Really a good. There's some there's some there's some talent on that on that team. Um, Certainly from yeah, we talked about Berlino. Alinea, uh, the right back, uh, or sorry, the left back is uh, Anthony Robinson, uh, who plays for the U.S. national team, goes by the the nickname Jedi. Um, <laughs> but he 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 and Bukayo Saka had a had a pretty good duel down the down the side. Obviously, I would have liked to see Saka get a little more of that one, but um, you know, as an American, it's not bad to see Robinson. Yeah. Have a, you know, a play, Robinson have a really nice game against a player of Saka's quality, even if this was not his finest game. But you know, some credit goes to the defender there. 
uh, Leno, Jopalinia, uh, Bobby de Cordova Reed, who was, I think was the captain actually when the game started. He was in, he plays for Jamaica. So there's some, there's some international talent on that Fulham team. And, 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 uh, yeah, they, we switched off. We, we did not defend well. Paulinia found a space and nobody followed him. Nobody tracked him. And, and he finished and it was a really nice finish. And, but you know, we stare, we're staring at that. We're still probably looking at 10, 15 minutes. We have a chance to get the go ahead goal. Um, and then things got a little weird. Yeah. We, it, it felt like it was just a return to the first half. Like we just, we had some attempts that we just couldn't convert again. Like we had a corner kick and unlike their corner kick, we were actually up a man instead of them being down a man when they converted <laughs> and we couldn't convert it. Yeah. Uh, we definitely had a couple of chat. We had some couple of chances. I, it was two happen. There's two of them. Uh, one from either side. Uh, we had a play where, um, I believe it was, I think it wasn't Trussard. I didn't see, I forgot who it was. Uh, thought they got fouled. One of our players went to the ground, grabbed the ball, was into sort of grab it and put it down. And they basically referee said there was no foul there, but you grabbed the ball. That's a foul. So it came the other way. Fulham restarted quickly, put it forward to Adama Traore, who right. you may remember last year from Wolves with his massive rugby-like thighs. Um, yep. He, 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 Saliba went with him in a dead sprint, and uh, Saliba's a really fast defender, but Adama Traore is a really fast player. Yeah. Um, Saliba went to ground. He had a tackle late in the, pa- you know, really excellent slide tackle late in the palace game, perfectly timed. He tries to do the same thing here. It does not work, and it sort of said, Triori stays up, gets off a shot. Ramsdale has a really nice save. Triori probably could have gone to ground there and probably would have won and deserved a penalty, hmm. which would have been disastrous. Yeah, really. At that, at that moment. <laughs> um, instead, only almost scores. Right. And then we come the other way, and then it was uh, Fabio Vieira. Again, um, it's a, it was a bicycle kick, just... I uh, just a rocket, and oh, yeah, it, it was it was an amazing that, shot. One of those that it, like it happened, and even I was audibly like, "Oh, you know," mm-hmm. and then there was an offside in the build-up anyway, so it counted. But exactly, yeah, you know, yeah, and it was had, blocked. It would have yeah. been even worse if it was offside, but it had actually gone in. But yeah, at least it was blocked and then called offside. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a, a lot of stuff. We had a, I mean, we had a, re, you know, uh, you had another shot that Leno tips over the bar. There was that last corner right before the final whistle, like Kivior just needs to extend his leg just a little farther and he probably pokes it in, but mm-hmm. thin margins and it's 2-2 yep. in a game that really, frankly, probably shouldn't have been 2-2, uh, you know, but, but uh, you know, honestly, I can't say that it was unfair. We made some mistakes and were deservedly punished for them um, and we yeah. just weren't sharp enough on the day and so we've got to stop giving up goals and chances early in games, especially at home. That just, that's the sort of thing. that just can't happen. Yeah, um, definitely. I guess I, I, I overheard this in another conversation. I'm curious to sort of pitch it to you in the aftermath of the game. I mean, having dropped the points like this, having had a performance that was not up to our standard. I mean, how how do you feel coming out of the Fulham game like this or coming out of these first three games with two wins and a draw? I mean, if we're hoping to win the league, which I think we should be definitely at this point, um, 
It's disappointing. I think if I'm remembering right at this point last season, I think we had a, we had way more than three back to back wins that put us in the position where we were at the top of the league for so long. It wasn't until I think our sixth, seventh, eighth game that we drew the first time. It was a long time. Uh, I'd hope that earlier in the season, like they've still got their heads in it and they're, you know, really, there's no excuse for it, I guess. Um, it was, it was very disappointing. Yeah, we definitely started very strong last season. I guess I, I'm, I'm curious in bringing it up in the larger context of expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously last season was a dramatic overshoot of our expect. We did not expect to be in that position we were in. And even the year before, you know, we were hoping to challenge, you know, hoping to get ourselves back into Europe. And we wound up this close to the top four. But there was this sense of building and forward momentum. And now we're coming in here and the standards are such that like if you had told those teams of the last two seasons, hey, you're going to open the season with two wins and a draw. All right. Right. But now this season, you're going to open with two wins and a draw. Uh, we dropped points. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you're, and, you know, City's three for three. They, they don't look unbeatable. They've looked shaky at times, but they've got so much quality that, you know, mm-hmm. it really takes a. It takes something of an off day for a real off day from them to really, especially unless you're one of the really big teams to really, you know, put put a scare into them and get them to drop points. Right. You know, I, you're not going to win or lose the league in August. Um, no, but, of course not. But yeah, no, I guess you're talking about where your expectations are. Keep in mind, like my baseline for Arsenal performance is last season at this point. Right. Right, like, And that's kind of, and that's kind of where I'm throwing that question to you is, you know, having seen that team that, that wound up so close to the title, the way they did. And now, you know, and comparing the start last year, of course they were blazes. They were, they were flying in the early going. And they aren't really there right now. They're mm-hmm. not playing poorly. They're having a lot of stretches of good play. But I think we can all say we've seen a better version of Arsenal. Right. And so I'm kind of curious how you feel watching that at this stage, especially with these kind of expectations. I mean, at a certain point, I've seen enough that I can be cynical and just say, oh, here we go again. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, and I'm still not sure how I feel about where we are. At this stage, well, I think curious. What, what occurred to me in the first half was I remember you saying when we were maybe, I don't know, two thirds or to even maybe three quarters or more of the way through the season, we had an episode where you said that Arsenal deserves our faith. Like even though they're down, they do pull it out. Right. And so we'd been down by one goal for a long time in that first half. I was like, you know, this is a new team. This is not the exact same Arsenal as last season. Does this team still deserve our faith was kind of the question I was asking myself. Right. And I guess I, this makes it a little bit more of a probably instead of a yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it's still leaning towards that, but not not as definitively as a win would have made it, you know? Oh, yeah. But I think also that question of belief, right? Because I think it's perfectly fair to say that this is a better team or the, a deeper, more talented team. But the expectations perhaps are changing the way we're we're thinking about our belief. Like it, for last year to believe in that team was to sort of say, I believe this team whose goal was top four can compete for the title. Now we're starting from this team can compete for the title. And I still believe that to be true. I don't, I haven't backed away from that, but it does sort of, it is sort of curious how that expectation changes our sense of the performance. I I just, yeah, I I realize it wasn't fully formed as a question I was asking you, but it's something I've been (laughs) thinking about 
and I, and some and some stuff I I had been listening to in in conversations in the aftermath of the game and just sort of tossing it around in my head. So right. So yeah, um, that's that's what I have to say on it for now, I guess. And we'll uh, we'll see we'll see as the season goes on uh, how our belief holds or wavers. We'll we'll see mm-hmm. how that goes. Um, <laughs> you uh you um. I will we'll get to the I guess we'll go to the man of the match. I may have given away mine necessarily, but I'm curious how you thought as your 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 player of the game. Well, okay. Thank you for giving me the floor first because I'm pretty sure I am probably sniping you. And no, absolutely Viero was who I was thinking going into it. I mean totally changed the whole feel of the match when he came in. And he was he was involved in both goals that we ended up getting between drawing the penalty that Saka ended up converting and then assisting Enkedia's goal, he had a direct part in both of those. And that bicycle kick alone, I think, even though it was ill-fated, the execution of that was, I, yeah, (laughs) that alone would have made me, unless someone else like scored multiple times maybe that would have uh, and here i am like kind of figuring out like the poker hand equivalent like <laughs> whether we have two of a kind or whatever yeah he uh he deserves it for me so yeah what <laughs> yeah i was going to the era i mean part of it again expectations and recognition of sort of this is a, we'll find out if it's a breakout performance or if it's just an anomaly but sort of this is the kind of performance you want to see from him the things he can do He's had some good moments here, but he's able to string them together and played a role in both goals, drew the penalty, and then had the assist. Um, I, I, I want to shout out a little bit to to Zinchenko, who, who's coming on. Um, I think I mentioned this. I thought we he he definitely added a little something when we played for the full or the Palace game. I think he added something a little bit here when he came on as well. So it's nice to see him, uh, hopefully working back towards full strength. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm and, anxious and, for know, him just, to start again. Yeah, yeah, and and just uh, another uh, one that's a little nice to see. We saw there in the last uh, in the right in stoppage time as we're chasing the last goal. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is back. Uh, I was very so pleased with that. Yeah, so that's good to see. He got his, got some ten minutes. Um, be curious to see what his fitness is like for Sunday. Um, obviously, we'd like to see a lot more of him. Perhaps even starting, but I don't know if that's <laughs> too much to ask for where he is. Right. Um, I guess we'll find out um, on Sunday. Yeah. So uh, one quick question, uh, just something I've been thinking about this season is in really broad strokes at this level of play. So Premier League and maybe even MLS, um, even though the arrangement is totally different in both of those leagues. How do the equipment deals work? Is this something that all the equipment manufacturers bid over and they're essentially maybe paying, whether it's through the best price or through an actual like cash payment to the league or the club, whatever the case may be? Um, or is it just no, like, you know, we as a club, we like Adidas and we're going to buy Adidas shirts and socks and everything equipment this time. Like, it's how- money. It's money. In and, which and direction? In which so, direction? So, it's, so the, the the manufacturer will pay the money to the club. Like we will give you X amount of X okay. dollars or pounds every year, and we'll outfit you. And and they do they'll outfit everything in terms of all the team wear. And the idea is they'll make it back on the commercial end by right by Arsenal wearing our stuff. We're going to sell all these shirts and say Arsenal, and that's where we're going to make the money back. Right. And brand um, awareness. You, it's advertising too. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What you will also see though is individual players will have sponsorships. Um, and a lot of times you'll see that in their shoes or the boots. 
It's really uh, the so only place where, you could, I think. Right. And that's kind of, right. And so, you know, Bukayo Saka, I believe is, a, I think, New Balance. Um, yeah. So you see I've a seen lot of guys for are, New Balance. Yeah. And you see a lot of guys are connected to uh, different brands. You'll see that in their shoes. Um, and of course, obviously, whatever kind of other sponsorships or other, uh, other endorsements they do um, off the field. I think also because of their supplying the equipment, a lot of players will have sponsorship deals. Sometimes they're even actually like you, you'll hear so-and-so was a sponsorship deal. And you're like, why does he have a sponsorship deal? They're just giving him shoes basically right. where you wear these, um, right. you know, a player like Saka might have specially designed ones, but for a lot of other players, it's just kind of the co- shoe company is giving them the shoe. Look, we have another player wearing Nike on Arsenal, you know, that right. kind of thing. And I imagine for um, keepers, probably the gloves, I think would be the other item. Yeah. Yeah. I think gloves are connected to it. I think also, I think also like for players who can't even get that, because there are plenty of players who don't have near any, any rain recognition. I think the club through the manufacturer will supply sort of like general shoes, you know, youth players got, you're a guy you've just been signed or no one's ever heard of you. Um, you know, not enough to get, you know, the sponsor, the sponsor kind of version. I need some boots. Okay. Here's an Adidas in your size. You know, that's probably that's right. how that works at that level as well. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. So that's essentially if you get a player sponsorship, that company is paying you to not use what you would get from your team. And I exactly. imagine if they, if like, I know just from having bought many pairs, too many pairs of Adidas cleats and, and other soccer shoes, I, I have three pairs now. I have my, my cleats for grass. I have my shoes for the basketball court that I played over the winter. And then, and now I have my turf cleats that I haven't actually had. The, the chance to wear yet on the field. But anyways, um, they have a whole range, many, many different cleats to pick from. So I imagine the players are going get, to get to pick anything from Adidas's range. And maybe other brands might not have as many as Adidas does. I know Adidas has a very filled out range, but yeah, I mean the big brands, Adidas and Nike Puma is a big one. And there's some others that are somewhat mm-hmm. smaller, uh, but still produce a lot. Uh, Under Armour does some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Puma. And there's another one. I was thinking new balance does some, and there's some other companies you'll see kappa uh castore um yep. especially you get to the continent you'll see a lot more different brands manufacturers and then you get to like africa or latin america and you know, see some see some really obscure brands yeah yeah it's uh, actually funny you mentioned under armor i actually don't remember ever seeing under armor equipment in the premier league now that you mentioned them because i'm i'm a fan of theirs yeah. i have a lot of their stuff and they spell armor the british way not the american yeah. way I, I don't know that they've actually gotten big into there were a couple points. I feel like I'm remembering a couple points where they they sponsored like one club, but it just never their soccer mm-hmm. line never really took off. They really worked their way in. Uh, certainly Adidas and Nike are the big ones. Puma's pretty big too. Yeah. Um so you know there's there's that. Uh, Umbro was a was a classic uh yep. English English one. Um so yeah, I, Under Armour, I feel like they've been in that space you know the, get the good commercialized corporate talk they've been in that space before but in a very very small way right all right what's coming up for next week all right two big things to look out for this week uh the first on thursday in about the middle of the day if you're if you're available and curious to watch is the draw for the champions league groups mm-hmm. um Arsenal will discover our group in the Champions League. That is 11 a.m. my time, and I believe that's uh, uh, noon your time, uh, yep. is I believe how that will go. So about middle of the day, late at night. Um, we've talked about watching draws before. 
on some level, they're not very interesting. It's pulling ping pong balls out of a box <laughs> and like reading names off a list, but sometimes they're fascinating to sort of watch. Um, sometimes there were famous play. There are a lot of times there, were, especially for the Champions League, there'll be some famous players, which is kind of always fun to see them and see who's put on weight since their playing days are over <laughs> and who still looks like they could play even with less hair. Um, <laughs> so, you know, those, that's fun. So we'll find out our group for the Champions League and I'm sure we'll spend some time next week breaking that down a little bit, talking about who we got and what that means for us mm-hmm. uh, going, going forward through the rest of the fall part of the season. And then as far as games go, Sunday, this is a big one. We talked about getting through the early part of the season. Sunday's a big one. Manchester United comes to the Emirates. Uh, this is going to be uh, this is a game the fan base is going to be up for. I think the players are going to be up for. United Arsenal always has a bit of a, you know, always has a bit of an edge to it as a matchup, especially we saw the two games we played last year, two, two pretty, pretty cracking games. So I am... Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it in the sense that they should be should be a good game. I'm also not looking forward to what it will do to my insides as the game is <laughs> ongoing. So, right. Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we always appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and we certainly recommend you do, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, of course, you can become a Gooner U superfan for ad-free episodes and raw, unedited recordings available the night we record. As a reminder, for last week, we did a bonus segment, so you had a longer version of a show that had something after this spiel that I do at the end. Um, it's only a dollar a month, and there's a link in the show notes, and I did make sure it's in the YouTube description now going forward to, if you want to join, and we appreciate everyone who does. You can follow our show on Twitter at Show for updates and to ask questions. And again, my name is Dove. You can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Go you gunners. <laughs>